Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well, and I want to thank you for joining me. We continue our study today into the newest book by William Paul Young, who first authored The Shack. His newest book is entitled Lies We Believe About God. And uh, in this book, William Paul Young gives us 28 what he calls lies that we people have commonly believed about God. And uh, we are discussing this because his first book, The Shack, was such uh, an enormously popular book, uh, sold well in excess of 20 million copies. And so if this book even sells 1% of what his other book did, then it is something definitely worthy of our discussion, worthy of our attention. And as I said, this is not just to kind of, uh, you know, beat a dead horse regarding the shack, but this is a, a really good opportunity for us to exercise discernment in looking at some of these lies that he outlines and we'll look and see why these lies um, are actually true or if they're not true why they are a distortion of the truth so a good opportunity for us to kind of flex some discernment and theological muscles here and be equipped to uh, be able to engage our friends and family members and co-workers who probably are uh, in um, enamored with the shack or maybe even reading this book okay so uh, picking up where we left off yesterday, I think we left off yesterday talking about how God wants to be a priority. That was one of the lies that he says that we believe about God. Uh, and God is a magician. We talked about that, looking here at my notes. So the next lie, he's, uh, lie number 11, is this. God blesses my politics. God blesses my politics. Well, that is, uh, I would agree with him on the face of it, that, that that is true. God does not bless our politics. Uh, he makes valid points, actually, about confusing godliness with politics, and those two are not to be confused. Just because you're a Republican or a conservative or a member of the Tea Party does not mean you are a Christian. But on page 101 of his book, he says this, quote, Government is not instituted or originated by God, end quote. Now, that is not entirely true. Um, while it is true that God is not a Democrat and God is not a Republican or God is not a Whig or a Tory or something like that, Romans chapter 13 does state very clearly, says this, quote, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Okay, so there you have it, right from the inspired, authoritative Word of God, that governments exist because God put them there. Uh, William Paul Young is wrong when he says that God does not uh, uh, create or institute governments. Now, 
as I said, God is not a member of a political party, but he has uh, ordained and decreed that governments exist and governments that the governments that do exist are there by God. And if you read Romans 13 literally, and I don't know how else to read it, then you have to say that God even decreed a government, uh, God even decreed communism. Our, our Fidel Castro, Barack Obama, you know, I don't think anybody listening to this radio program was a fan of Barack Obama. I certainly was not. But I have to bend the knee and admit that it was God's will that Barack Obama be president of the United States for eight years. How do I know it was God's will? Because he was president of the United States for eight years. Uh, I think that is, I think he was part of God's judgment on us. Uh, there's, I would be hard pressed to tell you one single thing that Barack Obama did with which uh, I would agree, but it was God's will that he be there. And he was. Okay, so it's it's playing very loose with the text and very disingenuous with the intent of the scriptures to say, just uh, make an easy statement that uh, government is not instituted or originated by God. And when you read through this chapter, you see that he is a pacifist. In fact, he makes a statement. He says, uh, quote, somewhere on page 101, 102, but he says, quote, a gun is an immediate response to a perceived threat. So you see, he's, he's very much anti-gun. He, he doesn't like guns. Well, a gun is an immediate response, but it may not be just a perceived threat. It could be a very real threat. I mean, if somebody breaks into my home, I have to assume they don't have my best intention at heart. If somebody breaks into my home, they're not there to, you know, bring me a birthday cake or something. They're there to, to do me or my uh, property or my family harm. So it, it, he's really disingenuous when he says a perceived threat. No, somebody breaks him in a home. I'm I'm calling that a threat. All right. So um, that is that is one lie. Another lie. He says God created my religion. This is lie number twelve. He says that is a lie. Well, uh, William Paul Young. You when you read this book, you see he does not like religion. He says, "Quote." On page 109, he says, quote, Religion is among a whole host of things that God did not originate but submits to because we human beings have brought them to the table. Well, I, I dispense with the whole notion that God submits to anything. God, You see, he has a very high view of man, a very low view of God. You get the sense that William Paul Young's God, little g-God, is this God who is kind of, he's not decreeing things, he's not uh, ordering things, he, he's not in, he's not certainly not sovereign, he's not in control. He's kind of responding to changing, uh, changing circumstances on the ground. You know, he's, it's like we make moves and God has to respond and he's really busy up there trying to catch up with all the things that we're doing and everything he does is just kind of in, a, in response, almost like a plan B or C or D or E or F or whatever in response uh, to things that we are doing. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. Now, religion in and of itself, uh, I mean, most religions obviously are false, but the Bible does say something about true religion, does it not? It does in James chapter 1, verse 27. James says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, this is not a work salvation. Obviously, James is writing from the presupposition uh, that uh, the people to whom he is writing are in union with Christ. He's writing to believers. So, uh, basically, what he's saying is this. If you just profess to believe in Christ, but you're not out there doing things, you're not out there, you don't have any works, you don't have any fruit of your conversion, then that's worthless religion. He said, true religion, though, the point is, is that true religion is that once you are in union with Christ, then you do these things. You visit the orphans and the widows, you help them, and you keep yourself unstained by the world. All right, his next lie, lie number 13. Here's a big one. He says, here's a lie. You need to get saved. According to William Paul Young, that is a lie. That is a lie. I want to read to you what he himself says out of his book, Lies We Believe About God, on page 115. Excuse me, page 116. On page 116, William Paul Young says this. He says, Perhaps you get an invitation from a friend. You go. A product is described. Maybe it is Jesus or a way to ease your loneliness or a promise of life after death. Then there is a transaction, a signing on the dotted line. In much of Christianity, it is, quote, saying the sinner's prayer. Now we are in someone's down line, and they get a reward for facilitating our salvation. After you sign, you are informed of the fine print in the contract. There is a proliferation of ex expectations that no one told you about, minimum performance standards, time and money commitments, and innumerable rules. If you behave right and meet performance objectives, you could become a district manager and eventually reach the star level. And if you don't, well, we don't want to talk about that, do we? Okay, since you brought it up, if you don't follow through on your commitment, you will be in danger of being eternally tormented in a lake of fire, and if you don't get the ones you love in your downline, they will too. Wow, why would I ever think this is great news? Unbelievable. That is his view of Christianity, dear friends. That That is his understanding of the gospel. I, I would be hard-pressed to come up with a more skewed, man-centered understanding of the gospel than that. I'll read to you again. Uh, he says here, down just a couple paragraphs on the same page, he says, The good news is not that Jesus has opened up the possibility of salvation and you have been invited to receive Jesus into your life. The gospel is that Jesus has already included you into his life, into his relationship with God the Father, and into his anointing in the Holy Spirit. The good news is that Jesus did this without your vote. And whether you believe it or not won't make it any less or more true. And then he says, saving faith is not our faith, but the faith of Jesus. Oy. Deep breaths. Okay. For one thing, Jesus does not have faith. God does not have faith. Okay, there's there 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 God doesn't have faith. Faith is something that we have and we place in God. God doesn't have any faith. Uh that was such a disaster. His he has got a fundamentally flawed understanding of the gospel. He says it's like 
Well, you pray the sinner's prayer, you sign on the dotted line, and then all of a sudden, it's like a bait and switch. Then all of a sudden, you're told, oh, well, you've got to meet performance standards, and you've got to uh, go to church, and you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to give money, and if you don't do that, well, then you're going to burn in the lake of fire. And, oh, by the way, all the people that you led in a sinner's prayer, if they don't do the same thing, well, they're going to burn too. That is a gross, gross. It is amazing to me that this man is even... That, that, I don't even know why he bothers to call himself a Christian. With his worldview, he could find a ton of other religions out there that would be far more accommodating to him and would be a far better fit than Christianity. I mean, he, he could be, I would recommend to him, Buddhism. Sounds like basically that's what he is. He's got a, a Buddhist philosophy, really. I mean, it, it's 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 so humanistic. It's a it's an incredibly distorted view of the gospel to say that it is actually a lie that you need to get saved. And he says, he says the beauty beautiful thing is is that God has already included you in His gospel. In fact, on page one seventeen, he says this quote: "Every single human being is in Christ," and he cites. John chapter 1, verse 3, as his support for that, that every single person is in Christ, John 1, 3, and Christ is in them, and Christ is in the Father. Well, dear friends, John chapter 1, verse 3 says no such thing. Let me read to you John chapter 1, verse 3. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay? This has nothing, this is simply saying that Christ is the creator and he has created all things, and nothing that has ever come into being ever came into being apart from him. He's the creator. But that does not mean you are in Christ, or a person is in Christ in a, in a salvific sense, in a relational sense. No, not at all. It just means he created all things. It doesn't have anything to do with being in union with him. William Paul Young completely ignores... For example, John chapter 1, verse 12. Why didn't he just look down a few verses? Nine verses. And he would have read John chapter 1, verse 12, which says this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now, it's the same person, John, who wrote verse 3 as who wrote verse 12. So don't you think context would dictate some meaning and understanding here? Not for William Paul Young. No, he he, he flat out says John 1, 3 says something that it does not say. And then he ignores John 1, verse 12 that actually does speak to this concept of being in Christ. And John is very clear in verse 12 that it is not everyone who is in Christ only those who have received him, but as many as received him, to them, to them, not to everyone, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Uh, he says later, he says, Jesus is the Savior of all humankind, especially believers, First Timothy 4.10. Now let's discuss this a little bit, because this is tricky. Now if, if somebody were to come to you and pretend, uh, it it might trip you up with if you don't rightly understand it. First Timothy, four ten says this quote: We have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. End quote. 
And I tell you what, if you don't know the meaning of that verse, don't understand it in its context, uh, if you're caught flat-footed, 1 Timothy 4.10 kind of trip you up a little bit because it says that the living God is the Savior of all men. But then notice it says, especially of believers. So what does this mean? Is is God the Savior in a salvific sense of all men everywhere? Like everyone who's ever been born or everyone who has ever been conceived? Well, let's two points to make about 1 Timothy 4.10. Even reading it in English we see that there's a, a distinction between all men and believers. Now, if God brings all men to heaven, how can the same be true, quote, especially for believers? So even reading this, just just the verse itself, even removed from its context, just reading the verse in English, you see that there is a distinction. When, when uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So there's obviously some distinction between the all men and the believers. There's something that is true about the believers that apparently is not true about the all men. Okay, so that's the first point. You can see there's, there is a distinction there. There's a difference there. All right, that's point number one. So point number two, what does this mean? What, what is the distinction? What, is, what does Paul mean by this? Okay, here's what he means. Point number two. God, it, it means this, 1 Timothy 4, 10, 4, verse 10, means that God has not confined the offer of salvation to any one class of men. Okay? In other words, God has not said only white men can be saved, or only Asian men can be saved, or only Eskimos can be saved. He has not... He has not confined the offer of salvation to any one class of man uh, or gender or ethnicity, anything like that. Uh, God's people will come from every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. God's people will will be coming from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Uh, also, Jesus stated in John chapter 12, verse 32, he said, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. What does he mean by that? Every man that's ever ever been born, every man, woman, and child that's ever been born? No, all men without any distinction, without any uh, uh, confinement. In other words, he's not just saying saving people from Ukraine. He's not just saving people from Trinidad, Tobago. He's not just saving people... Uh, in New Zealand, all men everywhere without any distinction of class or ethnicity. That's what he means. That is a clear teaching of Scripture, Revelation chapter 7, John chapter 12. It's clearly what it means. Uh, and when you think about how many babies have been, uh, have been aborted, how many uh, Eggs have been fertilized that ended in miscarriages. How many children have died? Uh, that is that is all over the world, friends. There's going to be a lot of folks in heaven. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven. And now, probably most of them uh, will be from uh, miscarriages and abortions and, and children who died, and they go immediately to heaven, straight to heaven. And that is from all over the world. So God will indeed, he, he has his people from every tongue, tribe and nation. Uh, this is not a teaching of universalism, not at all, but that is what William Paul Young does to it. He grossly 
distorts the gospel. All right. Um, I'm looking at our note. Okay, I'm almost running out of time. So I'm, before I get to the next lie, I'm going to table the next lie for tomorrow. All right. So thank you very much, dear friends. Just to kind of catch you up on a couple of items that uh, coming down the pike, I should have my new DVD, Clouds Without Water, should be available certainly within a month. I'm hoping maybe within three weeks or so, but certainly within a month. Uh, Clouds Without Water 2, I will have a, a seven-minute video from Kosti Hen, who's been gracious to uh, record a video for me. That's going to be on there. That That's going to be worth the price of admission right there, just to see just to see Kosti Hen's testimony. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, I am working on duplicating a bunch of my teaching series onto a flash drive, onto a USB. I've got it right here in front of me looking at it. I've just got to spend some time uh, duplicating it and, and making enough so I don't uh, run out too quickly and I can get these to you. So um, within... Hopefully within, pardon the phone there, hopefully within a couple of weeks that will be available to you as well. And I'll, I'll let you know about that. It will be on my website. So thank you very much for joining me, dear ones. And until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.